Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. So, four four weeks of giving coming up. Sounds like fun. Um, Just to make sure we remember the difference, tithes is holy. We give the tithe to God. That kind of helps us with operations or expenses, keeping lights on, paying staff, those type of things. And um, then we get into offerings, which is what we're talking about with the four weeks of giving. And that's where you get into the multiplication of your seed. And uh, I don't like people to confuse the two, but um, we like to give. We feel that that's a great blessing. You'll never outgive God. I learned that from Wayne Myers when I was young. And uh, he was a guy who just lived to give. And uh, testimony after testimony after testimony he would share. And I remember um, I, I had this leather coat that I really liked, that I worked really hard for, that I went and bought for myself. And then I moved to Dallas. So I'm living in Dallas with this leather coat that's way too hot for Dallas. And uh, anyways, and then Wayne Myers was in town and praying. And anyway, God wanted me to give away my leather coat that I really liked. And uh, I ended up being obedient. But man, it was a little bit of a stretch for me. And uh, 20 years later, I got myself another coat. (laughs) But my point in that is... um, I never went hungry. I never went without. I always had what I needed, and God provided. Uh, While I was on the mission field, God provided for everything that I needed. So it's a great blessing to have Pastor Larry here with us. It's a great blessing to have you here with us. I've been here. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. It's good to be back. Yeah. Um, No more sickness. (laughs) So Pastor RJ, while you were gone. Yes. We, had, we talked about the seals. We talked about the trumpets. I know. I was preaching on the couch when I was watching you guys. <clears throat> you were preaching on the couch. I was, I was wanting to interject. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Kieran and Mitch did a really good job. Yeah, they did. Um, uh, on a very short notice. Yeah. I noticed our demographic of women aged 23 to 27 went up like 400% after Kieran was up here. <laughs> Eligible single. Aye, aye, aye. Yep. So, Pastor Larry, I have a question for you at the beginning of this service. Your born-again experience, how did you come to know Christ? Are you getting me back for the question I had for you in the first service? <laughs> Never. <laughs> so, I have an interesting salvation story. Growing up in a Mennonite home, um, you know, there was a big, and in, in a Mennonite church, there's a big push for, um, you know, that making that verbal declaration, I invite Jesus into my heart. And um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think I, I did it the first time when I was probably 
about five or six years old, but you know, it was just words and I had no understanding at all of the significance of it, nor did my life show it. Um, I went through some very difficult childhood years as I was a rebellious child, right from the get-go. You were a rascal? Something like that. I think my dad had different words. We're not gonna say those words. No, but, um, but I remember, you know, uh, at um, Christian camp um, at the age of 12, where the gospel message was, was proclaimed and, uh, and it just grabbed a hold of my heart for the first time where I realized that um, um, living my parents' faith wasn't enough for me. I had to discover my own faith. Um, and uh, so it was at the age of 12 that I, um, that I really made a personal confession of faith um, to, to follow Jesus Christ. And, and even though I did that at the age of 12, it's not like my rascal years ended because they just got worse. Um, and I'm not proud of it, but um, if I'm to be 100% honest and to shorten the story, I never truly understood the grace of God for me until the age of 24. Hmm. And, uh, and that, was, that was at the moment when everything shifted for me, everything. Um, and um, yeah, so that's where the journey started, the Holy Spirit journey and, and all that other good stuff. And, and in that moment, like for me, there was a, a poet named Sir Robert Frost and he said, two roads diverged in the wood and I, I took the road less traveled by. Yeah. And that has made all the difference. Yeah. And you know, I really see true following, truly following Christ, heart change, life commitment, that's the road less traveled. Even in, even in quote unquote religious circles, being a Christ follower who takes on the nature and character of Christ is, it puts you in the minority in a lot of ways. Because uh, there's a lot of people that just go through the motions. They have some intellectual understanding of who Christ is, but their heart is far from him. And their relationship with him is non-existent. And uh, for me, that made all the difference. Uh, in life. And there's been many, I'll say, ups and downs through life. You know, we all have our challenges. We all have situations and circumstances. But with Christ as an anchor, um, when you learn to anchor your life to the cross, he sees you through. And uh, we, all walk, we all walk through stuff, but Christ sees us through. Yeah. So that said, you guys did an excellent job um, the last couple of weeks. I have to be honest. It was actually... It was actually fun being up here with Mitch and with Kieran. Yeah. Um, I was nervous. I'm not sure who was more nervous, them or me. What do you think, guys? I see him sitting over there. You were more nervous. <laughs> me? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, um, we ended up uh, last Sunday uh, finishing off the trumpets. And, you know, between the trumpets and the bulls, there's this exciting story. And I don't know if we have time to get into this, and I'm not sure if anybody's really interested in talking about the two witnesses. Okay, they're not very interested. They're more interested in first service, but... They were more interested, but after we prompted them a little bit, because we, yeah. we, we threatened them with actually bypassing the story of the two witnesses and yeah. jumping straight into the bulls. Yeah, so what do you want? Do you want the bulls or do you want the witnesses? Okay, we'll do witnesses first, then we'll do the bulls. <laughs> So in Revelation 11, um, 
It's talking about the two witnesses and they have the power to shut up the sky so no rain will fall for as long as they prophesy. And they have the power to turn the rivers and oceans into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they wish. Scary guys. What's that? Scary guys. Yeah, they're pretty powerful. When they complete their testimony, the beast that came up out of the bottomless pit will declare war against them and he will conquer them and kill them. And their bodies will lie in the main street of Jerusalem, the city that is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, the city where their Lord was crucified. And for three and a half days, all peoples, does it say some peoples? Nope, all peoples. Tribes, languages, and nations will stare at their bodies and no one will be allowed to bury them. This next statement baffles me. All the people who belong to this world will gloat over them being dead and give presents to each other to celebrate the death of the two prophets who had tormented them. Sounds when, like a new holiday. I know. When these two guys die, they're going to make a new holiday and start giving presents to one another because they're so excited that the two prophets died. Yeah. Unbelievable. Here's the good part. <clears throat> but after three and a half days, God breathed life into them and they stood up. It says... Terror struck all who were staring at them, you think? Yeah. Then a loud voice from heaven called to the two prophets, come up here, and they rose, up to they rose to heaven in a cloud as their enemies watched. At the same time, there was a terrible earthquake that destroyed a tenth of the city. 7,000 people died in that earthquake, and everyone else was terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Second terror has passed, but look, the third terror is coming quickly. So that sounds like a pretty scary earthquake. Uh, yeah. 7,000 people died in that one earthquake. There's another one coming. Oh, wait, I'm getting a little bit ahead. Yeah, that's, it's coming. That's okay. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because um, in this, there's a lot of information that we get from it. It seems we know, according to other passages in Revelation, that the two witnesses are, are they're given three and a half years or 1,260 days to witness the, uh, the coming of Jesus Christ, right? And we also know that the Antichrist um, was given three and a half years from the time he was revealed, three and a half years. And it seems interesting to me that the death of the two witnesses happens at the end of the trumpet judgments. So it's almost like um, the time frame, the trumpets end at that three and a half year mark from the time the Antichrist is revealed to the time that the witnesses die. We know that's three and a half years. And it seems like the trumpets end at the same time. So that kind of gives us a little bit of an understanding of some timelines there that the Bible does clarify. And then the bold judgments happen after that. Um, so without getting into too much timeline theology, um, I, I get the understanding that, that um, the bold judgments are a period of time, perhaps if we go back to even some of the readings from Daniel, that uh, there's Daniel talks about in Daniel uh, 12, uh, there's an extra 30 days and then there's an extra 45 days. Perhaps these bold judgments happen within that time frame of Daniel's 30 days, Perhaps. possibly. So one of the things that uh, Kieran and Pastor Larry touched on last week a little bit was there's a lot of um, 
imagery drawn from the plagues of Egypt as we work through Revelation 15, 16, 17, 18. And even as you go into like 19 and 20, there's a lot of pictures that are very similar to what was discussed in mm -hmm. Genesis. So we'll highlight a couple of those today. We're not going to try to make a big theological discourse on it just because time. But let's start in Revelation 15, and it starts with the song of Moses and the Lamb. And did we talk about who we thought the witnesses were? Not yet, eh? We should do that first. Who, who do you guys think the witnesses are? Elijah, Moses, and Enoch are the three names I heard people say. And um, we, through much conversation, we, we personally, we tend to lean more towards the Moses and Elijah group just because of the transfiguration of Christ. That's yep. the two that showed up there with him. Um, Enoch, it seems, was, um, he didn't die either, but that was a little bit before, um, I think, God instituted his law, the law of Moses uh, at that time. And also about the number of years that mankind was going to live and, and those type of things. So either way, um, it's, it's probably one of those three or two of those three. We know Elijah is going to be one of them. It's just whether it's Moses or Enoch, we're not sure. But they're going to come back and they're going to preach. And uh, the Antichrist is going to kill them. They're going to stay dead for three and a half days. And God's going to raise them up. And the whole world is going to watch this. And, and the truth is, until more recently with the advent of satellite and, and, and streaming and that type of thing, we didn't even have the technology for that to happen. Because if you went back 50 years ago, the whole world couldn't watch that happen. Yeah, so true. But now today, we actually have the tech that we could actually see where, oh, yeah, when they get killed in the street, everyone on the planet's going to be able to watch it. Yeah. Anyhow, okay, let's go to the Song of Moses and the Lamb. Go ahead. So chapter 15 of Revelation kind of introduces the, um, the last set of, pl of plagues or the seven bulls. And um, it introduces um, with a song uh, of Moses and of the Lamb. And it's fascinating, and we'll talk about it in, in, in just a bit, but uh, I want to start reading from verse 1 of chapter 15, and it says, Then I saw in heaven another marvelous event of great significance. Seven angels were holding the seven last plagues, which would bring God's wrath to completion. I saw before me what seemed to be a glass sea mixed with fire, and on it stood all the people who had been victorious over the beast and his statue and the number representing his name. They were all holding harps that God had given them. And they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. And here's that song. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you for your righteous deeds have been revealed. So, Pastor Larry, one of the things I, I think that's important to note here when we look at these verses, this is similar to when Israel came through the Red Sea and Miriam pulled out the tambourine and they started singing a song of victory and deliverance. Yeah. And one of the, one of the feedback that we have been getting on this series is there is some people that, wow, we're very afraid. Mm-hmm. And... When I think about that, I'm like, you're missing the whole point of what we're talking about because 
this that we're reading is God's ultimate victory over all of our enemies. It's the victory of Christ. It's the victory of God and his kingdom over Satan and all of our enemies. And we're not alive in this time, this day and hour by accident. No. We're here on purpose to be the victorious church, to be the glorious church, to be the sons and the daughters of God and to go out and to demonstrate his power in the world around us. Yeah. So he didn't put us here to be fearful and afraid. And I mean, even foundationally, when God was pouring out his wrath on Egypt because he enslaved his people, they were protected in the land of Goshen. So we know that we as his children are not destined for wrath. So the plagues that it talks about, even the seven bulls we're going to talk about, they're not for the children of God. No. They're for the people that are serving Satan. See, and I think that's something important that we really, really grasp is that, is that reality that it doesn't matter which tribulational or rapture theology you believe in, like when we're going up to meet Jesus in the air, it doesn't really matter that much. The reality is this, God's chosen elect, God's chosen children are protected. Um, so, so, continue? Well, I'll ask you this time. Who are those standing on glass seats with fire? <laughs> According to the theology of Larry, Pastor Larry, <clears throat> Love it. you know, I, I really do believe it almost seems to, to uh, relate to perhaps um, those that, um, uh, where's my notes? Those that uh, had overcome the Antichrist. So perhaps they're the non-believers who did not accept the mark of the beast. Um, perhaps they are um, um, 144,000. Yeah, the 144,000 that um, God had sealed. Um, and, but the beautiful part of it, though, is they all received harps from God and, and, and to glorify and to praise God. That's what it's all about. So we want to go to the seven bowls and seven plagues? Yep. Okay. In verse 5. Then I looked and saw that the temple in heaven, God's tabernacle, was thrown wide open. The seven angels were holding the seven plagues came out of the temple. They were clothed in spotless white linen with gold sashes across their chests. Then one of the four living beings handed each of the seven angels a gold bowl filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from God's glory and power. No one could enter the temple until the seven angels had completely poured out the seven plagues. You know, again, we get the picture here, um, just like in the trumpets, it's the angels that are pouring out the wrath, uh, God's wrath. And um, I also find it interesting that it says the tabernacle was thrown wide open. Yeah. You know, all through the old covenant, the Jewish practice, you couldn't just walk into the Holy Holies. Only the high priest could do that and only with blood, and only once a year. Yep. And uh, we know that when Christ died, the veil was torn, yep. you know, and he made access for us to go into the presence of God. But it seems like there's this tabernacle in heaven that we're able to access from earth. And we get to see right into this at this, at this period of time. So um, there's this heavenly temple being opened 
maybe I should stay with our notes, right? Representing a new era of Christian history where we have access to God in the Holy Temple. As we go through the bowls, um, it's almost like there's this other scene of judgment that's about to come forth. The first one, Christ conquered death. Now he's going to conquer everything else. Yeah. I th- I, that's a beautiful scene for me. Yeah. I, I just, you know, I just imag- try to picture it and imagine it. And, and um, you know, to be a part of the first temple, in the, you know, here on earth, mm-hmm. but, to, but to be able to visually see the temple of God, the heavenly temple. Which the physical one here on earth was just a type. Just exactly. A, just a shadow of yep. what it was. So let's go to the first bowl. Uh, Revelation 16.2. So the first angel, because remember, all of these judgments are initiated, you know, through Christ, but it's really enacted by angels. Yep. Uh, the first angel left the temple and poured out his bowl on the earth. Horrible malignant sores broke out on everyone who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. So does that mean that malignant sores broke out on people who didn't have the mark of the beast? No. If they did not, as long as they didn't worship the idol and they had not the mark. Then they didn't get the source. No. So, so right there, it tells us that when God judges the people who took the mark and the people that are worshipping his image um, or the idol, um, that's who the judgment is going to fall on. So who are the people that, that don't have the mark of the beast? Uh, at this point, there could be some non-believers who refuse to take the mark. It could be the 144,000 Jews yep. who are sealed. There could be some Christians left on the planet at this point. Uh, that's one point of view. Um, and uh, that leads us to the second bowl. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and everything in the sea died. What does that sound like to you? Pretty gross. All the salt water. Well, the salt water, everything in the salt water is going to die. Yeah. So not only, not only is there going to be that stench of, of all the blood, but what about all the living life that dies? Like, I mean, that's a lot of living life in the that sea. Is. That is. That dies. You know, you lived in Bolivia. Yep. I spent some time in the Philippines. A um, little bit more water around the Philippines, I think. Yes, but when we, whenever we'd go to the open market and they have all the meat hanging, yes, when it's like thirty some degrees outside or forty, yeah. When you when you went to the market to buy fish, and it was forty degrees outside, and they're basically skinning, gutting, boning the fish, and then they just throw it in a pile and it sits mm. in the sun all day at about forty degrees. It's awesome. Yeah, lovely. Let's just Anybody say hungry? it's an assault on your senses. Um, I literally had to learn um, to turn my sense of smell off because otherwise, how did I say, how did I say it at first service? It's enough to gag a maggot. <laughs> I have a feeling that smell is going to cover a large earth. portion of the earth because the third bowl... The angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the streams. So not just the salt water, but all the fresh water. And they became blood. And I heard the angel who had authority over all water saying, You are just, O Holy One, who is and always was, because you have sent these judgments. Since they shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, you have given them blood to drink. So there's a, there's a specific reason that he's giving, turning all the water to blood. He's judging them for judging the Christ, uh, for, for shedding the blood of the Christians and the prophets. Yeah. It's their just reward. And I heard a voice from the altar saying, yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, 
your judgments are true and just. So the people who persecute the saints and the people who persecute the prophets and shed the blood of the saints and shed the blood of the prophets, this is actually the judgment that's being poured out on them. So, you know, all over the world today, we have martyrs, right? There's Christians dying for their faith. You know this. Okay, yep. if you didn't know this, there's oh, We more, talked about it in the seals. There's actually. more people dying today for their faith than probably at any other time in history. It's okay. true. So the blood of the saints is being shed. It's, they're being murdered. They're being put to death because of their faith in Christ. But God um, is keeping a, an account of this. And when he turns all the water to blood, that's the judgment that he's going to proclaim against the people that are shedding the blood of the innocent. Fourth and if bowl. that's not bad enough, then we get the fourth bowl. Yep. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, causing it to scorch everyone with its fire. Everyone was burned by this blast of heat and they cursed the name of God who had control over all these plagues. But listen carefully. They did not repent of their sins and turn to God and give him glory. You know, I, this, they did not repent. In the trumpets, it mentions at once, at the end of all the, of the sixth trumpet, it mentions that, that no one repented. In the, in the bowls, we actually hear it twice. But I mean, what did God do to cause his people to turn back to him? He allowed them to go through suffering so that they would, they would soften their hearts and turn back to him. I find it interesting that in these bold judgments, God is, is it's almost like he was like, please people, repent. What is it gonna take for you to repent? And yet no one repents. He was trying to get their attention. That's exactly it. Like even in the judgment, you see the mercy of God because he could have just wiped them out. I mean, God who spoke the universe into existence, if he wants to judge you, you disappear. It, it, it's pretty easy for him. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't have to do that. He just speaks it. Goodbye, right? And, and what happens is, even though the sun got turned on hotter, on all that blood. Ugh. And dead animals. Um, they still wouldn't repent. In fact, they cursed him. Yeah. Cursed his name. Yep. So rather than repent, now we're going to talk about the fifth bull in a second where the same result, they didn't repent. But next week when we talk about transhumanism, I'm going to try to lay out for you um, that it's possible that some of these people were unredeemable at this point. Uh, and uh, we'll show you the scriptures on that and why. But that makes a whole lot more sense to me that people wouldn't repent. Because you would think someone would be like, oh, I get it. Even one. Yeah. But no one. It's just not a single one. So living conditions are nearly impossible. There's no fresh water, the stench, the heat. They're still not repenting. So that leads us to the fifth bowl, which is... Which seems to twist things now because it's a different focus, right? Yeah. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and the kingdom was plunged in darkness. So remember... You see the same judgment on Egypt with the blood. You see the same judgment with death. You see the same judgment with darkness. Yep. 
And his subjects, the beast's subjects, ground their teeth in anguish and they curse God of heavens for their pains and sores, which obviously are still there from the first bowl. Mm-hmm. Remember, they had these malignant sores all over their bodies. But they did not repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. Like, for me, what is wrong with these people? Like, you'd think that after all the water turned to blood and there's darkness and, you know, sores all over your body, you'd think that maybe they'd get it. You know, the sun starts scorching them everywhere. Maybe we could repent and turn to God. No. Another interesting thing about this particular judgment is how it's targeting the kingdom of the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, it's almost like now you, Mr. Leader, you know, what are you going to do about this? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, just, it's not just the people anymore. It's now it's very intentional against the Antichrist and his kingdom. Yeah, which leads us to the sixth bowl. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River, and it dried up so that the kings of the east could march their armies toward the west without hindrance. Do you know, throughout history, the Euphrates River has been seen as a natural barrier, basically from Turkey near the Black Sea all the way down to the Persian Gulf, to avoid invasion from the east. So even when Rome had conquered the region to the west, you know, all of the east, they didn't fear invasion because there was this giant river that was like 300 meters across and deep. And when I think about it, you know, why does the Euphrates have to dry up so that the kings of the east can come across? And we talked about that during the Great Wars. Um, You could build a bridge and you might be able to get thousands of troops across, but what are you going to do with 200 million in one bridge? Do you see what I mean? So it's more plausible that the Euphrates River is going to dry up. Here's the, the next part. You go into the... And I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs leap from the mouths of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. They are demonic spirits who work miracles and go out to all the rulers of the world to gather them for battle against the Lord on that great judgment day of God the Almighty. And those three evil spirits coming from those three entities represent what? The demonic trinity. The anti-trinity. We have Father, Son, Spirit. Satan has the devil, the antichrist, and the false prophet. The beast. So, so he's got this counterfeit that goes out to work miracles, right? And I think that at this point, Jesus has set foot down in Jerusalem, right? And they're so angry with him for the judgment that he's pouring out on the earth that all the military left, all the military might of the earth, these three spirits go out and convince them under Satan's tutelage that they're going to come and overthrow Christ in Jerusalem. But Pastor RJ, a frog, you would be convinced by a frog? Well, it's a spirit. Right, that looked like a frog. spirit that looks like a frog, yeah, an evil spirit that looked like frogs. You know, they were unclean spirits. The people's hearts were clearly hardened, but I would think Satan would have got it the first time he rebelled against Christ yeah, and got kicked out of heaven. So now he's down here on earth and he's thinking, I'm going to get all these military people and we're going to take them out again? Like, he, he, he's not playing with the full deck. 
And not only that, but military people who've got sores all over their bodies, haven't had fresh, good water to drink. They've been scorched by the sun. So they're going to be extremely angry. Yes. Very angry. Um, and then, not a whole lot of energy, I don't think. Maybe not. I don't know. Right in the middle of this, there's this baffling verse. <laughs> this verse, whoa. Verse 15. Look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all who are watching for me, who keep their clothes ready, so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. And there's that Genesis language again after Adam and Eve fell. Yeah. They were walking around naked and ashamed. But go ahead, comment on that. So, yeah. This phrase... Right away, when we hear it, we associate it with what we've already heard and what we already know about the, this expression, come as unexpectedly as a thief. Paul talks about this concept in both Corinthian, 1 Corinthians and uh, 1 Thessalonians, um, where he says that the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief in the night. But then he says, but you, referring to the church, you, are not in the dark that that day should come upon you like a thief in the night. The way I interpret this, the way I look at this is he's not referencing the church, that the church is here and there's a warning to the church, but it's a warning to the unbeliever because it's to the unbeliever that he's gonna come as a thief in the night. It's to the unbeliever or some of these false religions that have an image of spirituality or, or godliness without Jesus Christ as the center, right? And um, it's to them I see that he's making this declaration. Um, it, and, and besides that, it's another cry of God. Listen, I'm giving you a chance. I'm giving you a, a chance. The end is soon near, soon. I come as unexpectedly as a thief. Verse 16, and the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place with the Hebrew name Armageddon, which we talked about previously. So it seems like they're all gathering together the enemies of Christ to challenge him yeah. in Jerusalem. But to your point, um, I really like the concept of uh, the false church or the one world church that's yeah. under the reign of Christ. And I'll say this, any religion without Christ as the center is going to be a false religion. And when the Antichrist sets up his kingdom, he's going to amalgamate many of the world religions and even some of the churches that are apostate, that have left their first faith with Christ at the center. And these are the ones that here are going to get caught by surprise. Yeah. And, and what did we read at the very beginning? I will separate the sheep and the goats. Yep. I will, I will separate the true followers from the ones who have an intellectual understanding, but no heart change, no lifestyle change, no relationship. And uh, even through all this, they still didn't repent. No. God's heart was for repentance, and he warned them. But the truth is, um, we as a church need to be watching for his coming. We need to be ready. We need to have our our lamps trimmed and our oil ready and our garments on. Yeah. And, and we need to be a prepared church. We need to be a vigilant church. We need to be a praying church. We need to be a church that's watching for what God's doing and watching for his coming. So a couple things here um, 
with the river? Did you want to comment on that or just go to the seventh? Let's just go to the seventh. Okay. Um, the seventh angel, this is verse 17, poured out his bowl into the air, and a mighty shout came from the throne in the temple, saying, it is finished. So Jesus said it is finished on the cross. Now God the Father sitting there on the throne saying it is finished. Well, what's finished? Catch this. The thunder <laughs> crashed and rolled. Lightning flashed. You'll have to do it. <coughs> Pick up with a great earthquake. <coughs> and a great earthquake struck, the worst since people were placed on the earth. The great city of Babylon split into three sections, and the cities of many nations fell into heaps of rubble. So God remembered all of Babylon's sins and made her drink the cup that was filled with the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island disappeared and all the mountains were leveled. There was a terrible hailstorm hail and hailstones weighing as much as 75 pounds fell on the, from the sky onto the people below. They cursed God because of the terrible plague of the hailstorm. So when I look at this, I mean, I know there's some politicians that have this concept of a great reset. I think this is God's concept of a reset. He's going to take the earth and he's going to level it. The mountains are going to get leveled. The islands are going to disappear. And he's going to reset it back to his original creation point. Mm. Because we know um, that the earth somehow along the way tilted on its axis and we started getting four seasons. Most people predict that or put that about the time of the flood in Noah. And, and people think, oh, that's crazy. I'm like, okay, right now we know that China just built, what's it called, the Three Gorges Dam yep. a few years back? And they flooded hundreds of thousands of hectares of, of land. But do you know that they changed the Earth's rotation by 0.6 seconds when they put that dam online? Yeah. So... I kind of get a sense that when this earthquake happens, it's going to be the mother of all earthquakes. And it's going to reset the planet back to God's original intent for it. You know, it's kind of exciting because I've always wondered what it would be like to live in the Garden of Eden. Yes. You know? And, and, and I think we have here that, that reference back to Genesis again. If you read the next chapters, it talks about the tree. If it talks about that. Yep. Right? And so... God's basically restoring the perfect creation on earth that he originally had for his people. Everyone else is going to get wiped out in the judgments. So the redemptive story is finished. Yes. It comes to conclusion here. It's finished. Yep. You That's know, good it, news for us. It's great news. It's really for bad us. news for people who take the mark and don't know Christ. Exactly. Really bad news for them. So there's a sense of urgency for us as believers yes. to go out and to make sure that people know. Yes. This is the time. This is the season. These things are happening, and we're not going to stop them. We're on, a, we're on a timeline that God has set in motion. We, the church should be praying like we've never prayed before. You've heard me say this, but we should be praying like we've never prayed before. I'm encouraged by the people that are still coming out for the corporate prayer times. Yeah. But it's not enough. You know, how many, how many of you have non-Christian friends, non-Christian coworkers? Neighbors. Non-Christian neighbors. 
you may be the only Jesus that they'll ever hear or see. Right? So it's time for the church to shine bright. It's time for the church to live the Christian life. And you know, we do things like four weeks of giving. Why? Because that's how Christ wants us to live. He wants us to be a blessing to our community. He wants us to be a blessing to our neighbors. Don't, guess, don't just go to church, be the church. Yeah, hands and feet of Jesus. So this is our opportunity, church. This is our time to shine. This is the greatest opportunity we have to harvest. And, and Jesus even says in, in, in his gospels, he talks about how don't pray, you know, for the harvest to come in. The harvest is ripe. He says, pray that laborers will go out. That's right. Who's the laborers? That's you and I. That's right. Oh, but I'm not an evangelist. So I'm not good at sharing my faith. Baloney. But you can tell your story. If you got the nature of Christ in you, you can share with others what he's done for you. Yeah. You know, and it's not super complicated. And I think sometimes we make it way more complicated than it is. Jesus came to earth. He died for sinful people like you and me. He made a way of escape for us so we don't have to experience his judgment and separation from him. Yeah. Hmm. So how beautiful it's going to be when God Almighty from the throne room in heaven shouts out, it is finished. Yeah. That's you know, so often, you know, when we hear that phrase, we right away think back to the, to the words declared by Jesus Christ. Those words, it is finished, is the first, that first step of the redemption of humanity. Where Jesus Christ made a way, dying on the cross once and for all, for us to be able to have access into the throne room of God through Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And you're smiling. Okay, you're up to something. I just had a thought. <laughs> so this kind of concludes, like this is how kind of God wraps it up. Yeah. And, you know, and then it's the end of his redemptive plan here on earth. Um, there, there's, there's some people that think that that's the end of everything. And then there's, yeah. there's others who kind of still feel that there's that millennial reign and there's one more judgment on Satan. Um, which is it? We don't know. I just, I lean one way. Some people who will remain unnamed lean a different way, but that's okay. We, <laughs> we're all friends. But, but really, this concludes God's end time timetable on the earth, depending on your view of the millennium, if there's another thousand years and then Satan gets judged or not, um, is really irrelevant because for our purposes, our part in the story ends at this point, and then we get to move on to eternity with Christ. Does that make sense? Okay, let's do communion. Mm -hmm. You wanna go first? <clears throat> let's stand. You know, it's so fitting that we end the service with communion. We paralleled Christ's first declaration of it is finished with God's declaration of it is finished. 
And communion is a reminder for us of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that finished work is what makes it possible for us to go with confidence into our neighborhoods, into our workplace, to proclaim Christ's broken body for you, Christ's broken body for me. And the reminder is not just something nice for selfish reasons. It's a reminder that our work on earth is not done until God Almighty says it is finished. Jesus Christ didn't die just for you. He died for a lost world. And we have a responsibility for that lost world. We are Christ's ambassadors. We are Christ's hands, feet, and mouthpiece. If we don't do it, who will? And so we remember what Jesus Christ did as a motivation to be the church of Jesus Christ, not inside these walls, but outside. Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you that you alone are worthy. And you are worthy because of your incredible act of love for us. You continually, from the beginning, from creation to the end, there's a, there's a story of you pursuing the hearts of humanity and drawing them to yourself into a love relationship through your son, Jesus Christ, who gave it all. And as we partake of this bread, Father God, we are reminded of that incredible act of love. But I pray, Father God, this morning that that act of love will not just stay in some, as something intellectual in our minds, but Father God, that it stir in our hearts and cause an action for us to go and sacrifice a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. This is our spiritual act of worship. And we're reminded of it this morning as we partake of this bread together in Jesus' name. Father, as we have the cup in our hand, I'm so grateful for Christ and the work of the cross, where we can lay down offense and bitterness and resentment. I'm grateful, Lord, for the body of Christ. I'm grateful for Pastor Larry, who's been up here the last 10 weeks or so with this series on Days of Noah. What a great blessing he is to the body of Christ. Father, as we have the cup in our hand today, I thank you for your people. And while many, I think as Jade alluded to, they walk through stuff in life. We all walk through stuff. That's right. Sometimes we have good days and sometimes we have challenging days. And some days we go through the dark night of the soul. As theologians talk about. But Lord, no matter what we face, we can look to you. Because of your blood, you made a way of freedom for us, a way of escape. And we don't have to stay discouraged or depressed or down. We don't have to stay sick. 
We don't have to stay anxious and afraid, but we can walk in faith and we can receive love and we can have joy. So Father, I pray for your overwhelming peace to flood over the congregation now, that your healing power is released, that you're restoring us to wholeness, mind, body, and spirit. And Lord, in the struggle, I thank you that you're revealing yourself to us as the God that's more than enough, as the God that's more than able. And Lord, as we look around this world that we see and it seems like it's shaking and it's messy and it's, it's overwhelming at times, depending on what we listen to. I thank you that we can put our hope in you, our confidence in you, because you are the one who leads us and guides us to truth. So Father, I thank you that we can be encouraged today knowing that you've got this. Lord, as you're wrapping up things here on planet Earth over the next season, however long that's going to be, I thank you that we can be faithful to do our part to take the love of God and share it with others. I thank you that we can be bold and brave and courageous, declaring your wondrous works, sharing your love with others. Father, I thank you for inspiration, for wisdom, for guidance for every person here today. Every person listening, Lord, that you lead us to truth, that you demonstrate your power in our lives. Thank you, Father, that you're healing hearts, you're healing marriages, you're healing relationships, because you are powerful and you are more than able. Lord, I thank you that you're reconciling lost back to you and that there's still time for people to repent. So help us to be faithful, to go forth to the fields that are ripe. Father, I thank you that you're putting a spirit of prayer on your people today and people are praying like they've never prayed before. So as we receive the cup now, we receive all that you have for us. Thank you, Jesus. And may your glory and your power be released through your people in Jesus' name. Dave and Carolyn are going to come now share with you. God bless you all.